Flying around the globe was indeed a privilege. But believe it or not, the skies of Florida hold my heart. There, I have flown through sunset that set the ocean glowing, marveled at the beautiful tapestry in the sky left by summer thunderstorms, and discovered most of the 140 airstrips, each with its own charm. The endless sunshine and warmth have made many of my flights there a sheer joy. But above all, the Florida skies were more than just a backdrop. They were where I truly fell in love with flying and nurtured my dreams of becoming a pilot. As a student at Embry-Riddle, I had the privilege of meeting an extraordinary woman, Jenny Showalter, who grew up in Florida with a family of aviators. I didn't know it back then, but Jenny and the Showalter family were aviation legends. Here's a quick history lesson to share with you. In the heart of Orlando's aviation history lies the enduring legacy of the Showalter family, whose roots in the industry date back to 1945. Post-World War II, Howard Showalter, alongside his brother, J. Sandy Showalter, and their partner, Ford Buck Rogers, established Showalter Air Park in Winter Park, Florida. This endeavor wasn't merely a business, but a vision of an America where private flying was as common as driving a car. Fast forward to today, by simply looking up at the Florida sky at any given time, some may say this vision is a reality today. The Showalter legacy was more than just opening an air park. It was about fostering a community of aviators. Their venture quickly evolved, responding to the growing demand for flight training post-war, underpinned by the GI Bill. They didn't stop there. The Showalter Stoon expanded into aircraft sales, becoming a recognized name in the industry. By the late 1940s, Showalter Aviation had spread its wings to three locations, including today's Orlando Sanford International Airport and Orlando Executive Airport. The 1970s marked a significant era under the leadership of Howard's son, Bob Showalter, who alongside Buck Rogers drove the company's exponential growth. The Showalter family business wasn't just about airplanes, it was about people. From future Air Force One commanders to renowned air show performers, Showalter Aviation nurtured talents that soared beyond the Orlando skies. Today, I speak with Jenny Showalter, daughter of Bob and Kim Showalter, about her upbringing in this aviation dynasty and how the sale of her family business impacted her personally and professionally. Jenny shares how the Showalter family service was more than a business. It was a part of her life, influencing her profoundly. Although she did not have an interest in flying professionally, Jenny had a strong connection to business aviation and decided to shift her career trajectory and build her own legacy in the industry. Today, Jenny is the founder and chief motivational officer at Showalter Business Aviation Career Coaching, 
helping professionals elevate their business aviation careers. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Atlantic Aviation. Atlantic Aviation provides aircraft ground support in over 100 FBOs across North America, including locations in Hawaii and the Caribbean. I am proud to be partnered with a company that puts their people first and highly values diversity and inclusion. Atlantic Aviation's vision and mission is evident through the relentless focus on culture, safety, and service. Experience the Atlantic attitude today. Check out www.atlanticaviation.com to see all 100 plus locations and plan your next visit. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the Aviate with Shasta podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Shasta. I'm wonderful and I'm thrilled to be here with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for joining us, Jenny. I've been such a fan of yours for so long. You've been an inspiration, a role model, uh, a mentor in so many different ways. And it's just so great to connect with you and be able to highlight you for our listeners. So thanks for being here. Uh, Well, Shasta, thank you. And and I would say the same to you because you and I go back to uh, your days at Embry-Riddle and the days uh, before you even took flight. And, um, and it's funny, I was telling my sons that I was going to be doing this with you. And they both were remembering, um, being there at the airport the day that you launched. And so, uh, we feel like we've had just, you know, a very little part of watching you literally travel the world and change the world of aviation for women. Oh, thank you so much, Jenny. We'll talk about that day uh, here in a little bit, but it was so great for that day to look out into the crowd and see, you know, people um, that I've established these relationships with come out and and support me. It really made the day that much more memorable. So <laughs> thank you all for coming. <laughs> we wouldn't have been anyplace else. Oh, <laughs> so Jenny, let's get to know you a little bit better. Um, you grew up in Orlando, Florida with a family of aviators who owned a fixed-based operator, an FBO business called Showalter Flying Service. Can you share a little bit more about the history of your family in aviation and what was one of your most fondest childhood memories? Oh, absolutely, Shasta. Um, So I'm very blessed to have a long aviation legacy, specifically business aviation legacy. I'm third generation and uh, my grandfather his uh, brother and a cousin started Show Walter Flying Service in 1945 after the war. And they were flight instructors stateside uh, during the war. And they had this dream that everybody would have an airplane, just like you have a car in your garage, you would have an airplane in a hangar um, attached to your house. And so they started with a little grass field in Winter Park, Florida. And fast forward about five or six years, and the city of Orlando came to them and asked them to move to uh, Herndon Field, which is now the Orlando Executive Airport, and uh, provide services for all of the commercial aircraft coming into Orlando. And um, we stayed at the Orlando Executive Airport until January of 2015, when my family sold the business. Uh, to Atlantic Aviation. And uh, my parents bought the business in 1974 from family, the year that I was born. So I just dated myself. Um, And so growing up, I mean, it was 
Um, I always told people that it was like the fifth family member. So it was my mom, my dad, my brother, and I growing up. And it was like the fifth family member. And when it was good, we were good. And when it was bad, we, we were all struggling too. It was, uh, it was the moodiest of us all. Um, but my goodness, what an incredible story and legacy we had. And growing up there, um, I would say probably one of my fondest memories as, as a kid you know, I think as a kid, you don't always know what your parents do exactly. You kind of have an inkling or, or you know, aspects of what they do, but you don't have that, you know, broad, broad scope of, oh, this is what my mom and dad do. Um, but let me tell you what, going to the airport as a young kid and um, getting to ride around in the fuel trucks with the line service and, and help do projects behind the front desk with the customer service staff. I, I could not have been more embraced or treated better as, as a young kid. And so it was always fun. I always knew I would go and see really interesting, fun people and get to do some cool things every time that I went to the airport. So I would say really that's my fondest memory is just going and being with people. But then in uh, 1996, um, when I graduated college, my parents actually came to me and they asked me, sat me down and said, Jenny, we need you to come and work for us for one year because we had our very first NBAA convention and static display coming to Orlando. And we were hosting the static. And um, it was not my plan to come and work for the family business, but my parents had never really asked me for anything serious before. And so, you know, I listened and that, that was what I did. I went to work for them for a year. We made it through the, the NBAA convention and I never looked back. And here I am to this day. Oh my goodness. So much to unpack there. Like the family history, you growing up around aviation, being third generation to be a part of this legacy, this business. Um, I'm curious to know, did you ever catch the flying bug, especially with just you know, your whole family pretty much being in, in aviation. Um, and also just to follow up, what were your career aspirations as a young professional? Okay. So, um, my first answer to you will be that my career aspirations growing up were actually to be a teacher and a coach because I was an athlete in high school. I played volleyball, basketball, and track, and I was wanting to teach history, which was my major. And that was how I saw myself um, moving forward as a young professional. And um, I, I did not do that. I, I did coach for, I coached JV for one year while I was working um, at the flying service, but that was an awful lot to, to undertake. And so um, it was a, it was a one year deal. Um, but I, again, I, I truly, I never, ever looked back on it. And then I forgot the second question. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, just wondering if you ever caught the flying bug. Did you oh, ever take any uh, lessons or? Oh, can I forget that? So I never actually caught the flying bug. And I know that there are going to be people listening to this that are going to say, what? She had every opportunity. I, I grew up very privileged to be surrounded by aviation. Uh, we were aircraft dealers for many, many years, Piper dealers, Mooney dealers, extra dealers. And so we always had airplanes around when we would take vacation. It was always in a, a small aircraft. My dad would fly. My brother 
and was usually fighting for the front seat because he <laughs> is now a pilot, fast forward um, in his life. Um, and I just always said, I'll go anywhere and I'll be happy to sit in the back of the airplane. I don't want to fight for the front. I always thought that I should really have the bug and really want to be in charge of an airplane if I was going to take that step. And luckily, I was able to just get comfortable in the back of the airplane and let those who really had the passion for actually flying do so. But it doesn't mean that my passion for aviation is any less just because I'm not a pilot. I've just found other ways to embrace it. I love that you say that because uh, so many times I see um, young professionals come into aviation who don't really have an interest in flying and they feel like they've missed out because, you know, that that passion is not there. And um, aviation is just such a big industry. There's, you know, pilots is just such a small sector of it. So you can be passionate about aviation, but not necessarily want to fly the planes. So I love that you said that. Yes, I am living proof of that. And <laughs> I'm still happy to this day with my decision. Oh, great. Uh, so just kind of going a little bit back to Showalter Flying Service. Um, so I believe in late 2014, uh, your family business, which was widely known as a family owned and operated FBO for over 70 years, was sold to one of the nation's largest FBO chains. Can you share a little bit about your feelings once you process that news and how did it impact your career trajectory? Wow, that's a big question for me because it was very personal. I grew up in that family business and we built our own terminal building back in 2000, which for any business to build and undertake a, you know, a huge building project, it's a big deal. But it was my family taking on this big building project to create a place for our customers and our employees to be served. And that building became a place where my children learned how to crawl and walk. Um, you know, I'd take my dog to work with me. My mom and dad were there every day. My brother was there every day. I went to work with my friends, my customers who who many of them I adored and was very close to. I always said the best part about going to work every day was not knowing who was going to walk in my front door because it was always going to be a surprise and, and almost always a great surprise when they walked through. And uh, that was, that was something I loved. And so for me, the business was extremely personal and I had the benefit of some time uh, prior to the sale to know that it was going to occur. I had some time to adjust and adapt and, and really think about how I wanted to move forward um, but we finished the, our very last, the ninth NBAA, uh, convention that we had hosted in 2014. We finished it, um, it was around the end of October and I went through that convention with my parents and my brother, knowing that that was our very last one. And that, that weekend after the, uh, everybody had gone home that we were going to start telling our employees that the business was going to be sold. And it was a complete shock to them uh, that that was going to occur. So it was a highly emotional time. And the sale did not complete until January of 2015. And um, oddly enough, Shasta, uh, I was at an FABA board meeting over at Embry-Riddle the day that the, that the, the sale completed. And you don't really know exactly when it's going to happen. You sort of have a window for when it will happen. 
Um, and I knew it was potentially going to be that day. And I rented a car from Show Walter Flying Service that morning to drive over to Daytona to Embry-Riddle for a meeting. And when I came home that evening to return the rental car, I returned it to Atlantic Aviation. Wow. And I returned it to people who I didn't know, who were behind our front counter at the, the building that my family had built, um, taking out our computers and putting in their own. And my office was off to the side. I still i am going to get emotional just talking. Um, my office was just off the front desk and there was somebody else setting up an office in there. And um, I returned the rental car and I went in the parking lot, got back into the car. And, um, and I tell this story. And every time the song comes on, my husband's like, you tell this story every time. <laughs> For the song Closing Time. I don't know if you know Closing Time. Yeah. I got in the car and the song Closing Time came on and, and I got a highly emotional and um, drove off and, um, and didn't come back for quite some time because it was just a little bit too hard for me to do that. So, um, you know, I think this industry is one that people put their heart and their soul and, and all of their passion into. And my family certainly did that with our business. And I hope that I carry that on today with what I do now. Um, but, you know, for people to think that it was just a transaction, it really wasn't. It was, it was much deeper than that for, for us and for most of the people that worked for us because we treated them like family. I can't even imagine, you know, I would, I would actually imagine that um, at the time, Showalter Flying Service was a second home uh, in so many ways and the employees were family and to just leave and then come back and all of a sudden everything's different and, and has changed. I, I can't imagine how difficult that could possibly be. Um, wow. That, that's a lot to experience. Oh, you know, it was. And, but again, I had had time to adjust and it, and it was an adjustment period. And, and in that moment in time, I couldn't have really anticipated where the next nine years, because we're almost nine years from the sale, I couldn't have anticipated where the next nine years took me personally and professionally. Um, so looking back, you know, it gets time, time heals everything, everything gets easier with time. But um, I really credit my family and that business with giving me such an amazing foundation. Um, and, and I think it's certainly shaped me into who I am, you know, as a person and as a professional. Oh, I'm sure. Um, so Jenny, I'd love to hear once, you know, this whole thing happened, um, how did it impact your career trajectory? And once you were like in this, uh, point of, you know, where do I go from here? Did you have a community or any sort of resources or tools that you leaned on to kind of help you guide on, uh, help guide you to the next step? So actually Shasta, I, I did, and I'm, I'm going to say this and I don't think any of them even really know that, uh, that this was my experience, but knowing that this was going to come, uh, the sale of the business and trying to figure out what I was going to do next. I was 40 years old. I was a single mom of two young boys. Uh, and life for me personally was complex. And so the, the flying service had been kind of a, a soft place for me to be with support around me, help with the kids, um, and, and allowed me to be a professional that also nurtured me in a time when I, I needed it in my personal life. And so that was all going away. 
And I knew I needed to work. That was not a question. And so um, I started going through the process about a year before we, we sold the business, just internally, just, just me in my own head, trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And um, one of my dear friends was having a birthday party, uh, a destination birthday party. And there were about 10 of us that are all industry friends that have been friends for, for many, many years. We all got to know each other through schedulers and dispatchers when we were on the committee and, and heavily involved in that um, in, the, in the 2000s. And we all went to this destination weekend birthday event and two of the group had left business aviation. Um, one was staying home and the other was still working but had moved um, into another industry. And it was listening to the two of them talk about how much they missed being in business aviation. And it was the rest of us being so involved in our industry and loving it so much and sharing our passion for what we do and looking at how business aviation had brought us all together. And in that moment, um, you know, I had been thinking, do I want to be a teacher? Do I want to be on my kid's school schedule? That would make life a lot easier for them and for me schedule wise. Um, I had looked at other options outside of aviation because of the things going on in my personal life. But being there in that moment, surrounded by those women who I not only personally adored, but professionally respected, um, it just became so clear to me that that this industry you know, I, I wasn't just a participant, it's who I am. And that, that is when I made the decision that I don't know what it's going to look like moving forward, but I will stay in this industry. So that was, that was really my pivotal moment, uh, Shasta, about how I decided um, to stay here. And, and again, the sale of the business, the business in general, but then the sale of the business and in, in that moment, I guess it really did impact the trajectory. You know, I, I, it was funny. Somebody said to me, well, your parents have retired now. What are you going to do? Are you retiring too? And I'm like, well, no, I can't, I can't retire. I have to, I have to work. I have to have to make money. I have to be productive. And so that became my new task was to figure out how to make that happen. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I want to ask you in terms of building this community or sometimes they refer to as tribes of women who work in your industry, how would you encourage young women to, to kind of put themselves out there and like start growing their tribe? Because it sounds like you have that and I, I really admire that. And I'm just curious to know how would one go about building that community of friends where you go and travel and do stuff together? Well, I will tell you that I built mine through volunteerism and it was through raising my hand as a very young professional. I mean, um, straight out of college when, when my parents made the ask of me to stay in the business for a year, I went to my first schedulers and dispatchers convention and, and I just really loved the energy and I raised my hand and I said, what can I do to help? And that began a string of events that culminated in me being the chair of the committee in 2008 and being the, the host and the person that was, you know, behind putting the, the conference together and helping to manage uh, the rest of the volunteers. And that's where I, that's where I developed my tribe. It was being around these women. And, and I know 
it's um, a unique thing sometimes to have a large group of women together because there can be, you know, a lot of a lot of different personalities. But we were all drawn together by business aviation, and I, I mean, we're all very different in age, different in where we live, different in the, the roles that we play within the industry. Uh, but but something about our connection, our mutual connection, really worked, and I know. Trust me, I know how fortunate I am to have that group. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Can't wait to have that tribe. Um, it just seems like it's so tough because everyone's so busy. And um, a lot of women that I meet, they're in different phases of their lives. I I have a child. So it's it's tough. But it's very inspiring to see you and, and your group of friends travel and, and spend time together. So I know it's possible. We I think we just have to put more effort into it. Yes, it, it absolutely is possible. And, and I'll tell you one other one other real benefit that it's given me is that I've been with some of these women as friends for more than 20 years now. And we have literally seen each other through marriages, divorces, children's births, parents' deaths, um, you know, really all of the major milestones in life. And um and to not have them to go, and even even if we go a long period of time without me talking to one of them or something, we always know that we have each other's back. And and um, and I'm really excited to say that I actually get to go with a couple of them in a, in a couple of weeks to celebrate some milestone birthdays. So we're we're going to go on a cruise and have a have a wonderful time. And it's really hard, even if you don't have young children at home, to carve out the time to do it. But we made this plan months and months ago. And by golly, we're going to make it work. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, good luck on the trip. Thank you. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Um, so I, I'd like to talk a little bit about after Showalter Flying Services, because you were there for over 18 years um, working. Um, and after your family sold the company, you went uh, to work for the Florida Aviation Business Association, FABA. And it's through FABA where I got to meet you. Um, and your time at FABA, you climbed the ranks from manager of marketing and communications to eventually the organization's executive director. Was it an easy transition for you? Um, and what did you enjoy most about your time at FABA? Um, I, I think it was an easy transition uh, to to make for me. And I was running parallel for a period of time, still with Showalter and doing FABA. And FABA was was part time for me, but uh, it was it was fun, and I got to stretch, flex some new muscles, if you will, um, doing some association work. And I had an excellent board and a, a wonderful board president and vice president who were very supportive and, and nurturing with me, uh, which was really wonderful. And we were able to do some some very cool things while I was there. Um, I will tell you the thing that I enjoyed the most besides relationships, because I am a relationship driven person. Um, but the thing that I enjoyed most beyond that was actually the politics, because we had a lobbyist in Tallahassee, who did a lot of work in the state of Florida, they are still to this day trying to get an aircraft sales tax exemption going. Uh, and I learned so much about the political process in the state of Florida, at least, um, and, and the lobbyist uh, process. Uh, it was so fun to go to Tallahassee and run through the halls of the Capitol with, you know, following the lobbyist. And, and at one point we had 
uh, a legislator we were trying to meet with and we were having a hard time getting her to put us on her calendar. And he looked at her schedule and said, well, I know if she's coming from this meeting and this is her next meeting, she has to walk through this hallway and get on this elevator. So let's stand out by the elevator. And she came down the hall. We got on the elevator with her. She still didn't really want to talk to us, but I was still amazed that um, it how how everything there worked, and it was exciting and um, and very um, rewarding, frustrating, all of that. But it was uh, certainly a, a new window for me into how um, the politics matters, and 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 it wasn't partisan because we it was about business aviation. It was about our industry. It was about something we love. So it wasn't divisive in any way. It was just something that we could all get behind and support. You know, thinking back to when I first met you, I believe I met you at Embry-Riddle back in 2016, and um, you had generously extended the invitation for myself and the Dream Tour team to come to a FABA conference. And what was so different about FABA compared to some of the bigger organizations that are out there is that everybody was local, you know, it, they were literally within hours of driving distance from where I was based out of. Um, and that just made the conversations and the relationship building much more intimate and personal. Uh, through your leadership at FABA, FABA was able to sponsor the DreamStar Global Flight, the first leg of the flight, which was huge for us because once that happened, it seemed like the industry really got behind us and supported us even more. So that was, we're so grateful for you and FABA for, for doing that. Um, and then, of course, you know, you mentioned in the beginning of this conversation on launch day of the global flight, you and your two boys came out to Daytona Beach, Florida early morning and we were delayed, but you were all there supporting me and, and you all send me off to fly around the world, which, again, made the moment so much memorable. Um, and it just I kept getting this theme of community from you. Um, so as a strong leader in your community and industry, how do you define community engagement and why do you believe it's important in today's society? Wow. So community engagement uh, is huge. And, and I did it when we had the FBO without even knowing because we had created a space that was a gathering place and it was a gathering place for events. It was a gathering place for um, you know, good times, bad times, um, people just, just showed up, they showed up there. And so I had this sense of community without even really trying just because we had, you know, you, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. Um, but then finding community when that went away, especially locally was much harder. And one of the ways that I have been able to get back to that sense of local community, because I came to work, I, you know, I went home and I worked from home ever since. But um, about four years ago, my husband and I helped uh, found the Central Florida Business Aviation Association with uh, some other local aviation friends. And CFBAA has grown to over 400 members, 450 members, including um, some of the students from Embry-Riddle. We have a lot of Embry-Riddle representation there. And so I have... I have, through that process, helped to create a, a new sense of local community. And some of them are uh, rekindled relationships, and, and many of them are new relationships. Like Cody Bogart, your last guest on, on the podcast, 
who was fantastic. She and I are on the board together and we met through CFBAA because we mutually had a desire to connect on a local level. And, and the, the local connections that you talked about when you were getting ready to do the Dream Soar mission, uh, that's exactly what we've tried to create here. So that's, that's one other way, going back to the last topic, if you're looking to create uh, your, your group, find, find your people in this industry. Um, volunteering is a great way to do that. Volunteering, you can do it on a national scale like I first did, or you can do it locally. And there are a lot of groups like this throughout the country, like CFBAA and FABA. So I, I certainly recommend that as a, a great way to connect. Seeing you and the FABA community um, come together and, and support well, it was very personal for me because you guys supported uh, the global flight, but I've also seen you guys support other initiatives and, and groups. Um, it really set a strong example for me to make sure that I'm always connected to my community, giving back, um, because it, it can do so much for the person on the receiving end. So thank you for being, again, a role model um, and and supporting this small group of college students who had this ambition to go make this impact around the world. Uh, because as I mentioned before, once FABA came on board, it seemed like everybody else just followed. So really appreciate everything. Well, it, it was our pleasure and you made us very proud and continue to do so. Uh, couldn't, couldn't be more pleased and proud to have, have helped you um, get your foundation and footing in the industry as well, and the world for that matter. Oh, thank you, Jenny. So let's talk about today. Um, and what I really admire about the work that you're doing is, you know, through DreamSoar, our nonprofit, we've had the chance to meet over 12,000 young professionals all over the world. And there's so much work that needs to be done there. Um, and taking it a step further, you do have young professionals who go to these big universities that come out still wondering, where do I go from here? Um, and that kind of leads me to, uh, you are the founder and chief motivational officer of Showalter Business Aviation Career Coaching, which provides aviational, aviation professionals and students coaching services on career development. What inspired you to start this business? And can you talk about some of the services that you provide to your clients? Sure. So, uh, when I was, I, when I left FABA, I went to go work for a business aviation recruiting firm and we were recruiting for mostly part 91 corporate flight departments. Uh, so any role that you would see in that flight department. And it was during the pandemic that our projects dried up and we weren't, we weren't placing people because nobody was hiring. Everyone was staying home and we had several large flight departments um, in organizations that did a major layoff or reduction of force. And I was tasked with dusting off the outplacement program that hadn't been out since the recession, the Great Recession in 2008, 2009, and updating it. I, and I didn't even know until I started working there what outplacement was, quite frankly. Um, but I dusted it off and uh, I became the face of the outplacement program there. And so quite literally, uh, because people were being let go or laid off over Zoom or Teams um, in a virtual setting, 
they would get that message and then I would be on the next Zoom or Teams and be the next face that they saw. And I would be the one to tell them, I'm so sorry, it's going to be okay. Uh, we'll figure this out. You're not alone and work through the emotions of it. And then we got to work and we started working on um, the resume, which is an essential job search tool. We got to work on LinkedIn presence because especially during the pandemic, we recognized um, that LinkedIn was a wonderful way to network. When you couldn't do it in person, you could do it through that, through that avenue virtually. And interview prep, because a lot of these people who were laid off hadn't interviewed in years, sometimes decades, and were very rusty or nervous about having to do so. And I stayed with many of them all the way up through them getting a new job and helping them negotiate salaries. And, uh, and I still am in touch with many of them to this day. It's a very personal um, process. And um, then I found myself, um, ironically, being laid off. <laughs> so, so my husband and I, he is a, a corporate pilot. He flies a, a, a global 6,000 here in Orlando. Um, we really got to talking because we're moving into the next phase of life with children who are, who are getting older. And uh, we decided that I would have the opportunity to follow my passion for helping others in this industry. And I founded Showalter Business Aviation Career Coaching. And I do many of the elements of outplacement, but for individuals. And so it's one-on-one -on -one career coaching, it's resume writing, it's LinkedIn presence, and it's interview prep. And I find that people um, need a sounding board. They need a safe place to talk about career issues and challenges. Um, it, it maybe is that they got fired or, or let go from a position. It could be that they have a really tough boss or some other work situation that they're trying to solve, or they just want to grow for future or be prepared for the inevitable. Because as, as I just said, you know, kind of the worst thing is to be on the other end of a virtual meeting where you've been laid off and, and you're not prepared. So getting them prepared, whether they are forced into that situation or they just um, are planning ahead. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's a wonderful thing to be in my shoes and be able to have gained the knowledge starting back at the FBO and kind of going full circle in in my career and in this industry to to be in a position to be able to guide folks through challenges and opportunities and and that's what I'm thrilled to do. I'm curious to know, you know, you had this very structured um work environment that you were in, uh, and then you were laid off and you went off to go start your own business, which is helping others. Uh, what advice would you offer aspiring entrepreneur entrepreneurs, especially women who have a career, but want to branch out and start their own business in aviation? Well, first of all, I would say that, um, Without the support of my husband, it would have been very hard for me to do this. So I do want to recognize that because uh, it wouldn't be fair to not to not say that. Uh, you know, he we have an income from him that allowed me a little time and flexibility to to be able to start the business and grow it. Uh, so I think that is key. But um, I think one of the I tell you one of the things I learned is that it takes a long time. It takes much longer than you think to do it. And uh, for me, uh, you know, 
getting the name of the business was pretty easy and filing the proper paperwork was pretty simple too. Um, writing a website is really, really hard <laughs> and you, you have to pour yourself into it and you have to think ahead. Um, it, it is a very, very challenging process. Um, but if you, if you feel like you have the support and if you feel like you're ready to do it, um, give yourself some space, give yourself some time. Um, I would say do it right. Don't rush the process. You're very tempted to do it and to, to set a, you know, set a goal, but then be, be ready to move off of that goal. And then you take the leap and, you know, you, you hope people, you hope people come. You hope people need whatever it is that you're offering them. And, and I'm lucky that that people have, have come to my business. Have you ever thought about going beyond career uh, coaching and maybe supporting women who want to start these new businesses since you've been through that process? Yeah, I really haven't thought about it, Shasta, but I, you know, I'm always happy to support anybody who's looking for for you know, growth in any way in their career. And I, I try to be an open book and I try to be somebody who, if I experience something and I can be of help to you um, or save you a step or make it a little less challenging along the way, I'm always happy to do that. So that, that's a great idea. And, you know, truly people come to me for all different sorts of things when it comes to that one-on-one -on -one coaching, which is, which is so rewarding. And uh, that relationship is very special. And uh, if there's anything I can do to help somebody, um, especially a woman entrepreneur, I'm more than happy to. So where can people go to learn more about these services? You mentioned a website, right? Yes, a website that was really a labor of love for me. Uh, it's showwalter.com, just like my last name. Um, and in it, you'll learn a little bit about me and my family history because I wouldn't be where I am without all those who came before me. And uh, all of my services are there as well. And I, I offer a free 15-minute phone call to anybody who wants to connect with me. And it's been a great tool for my business uh, to have that option so that people get to uh, meet with me, talk with me directly. Yeah, they can ask questions and I'll answer them. And uh, it's a great way for them to get a sense for who I am and me to, to get a sense for what their needs are. Awesome. Jenny, as we wrap up this conversation, this is a question that I like to ask all of our guests. What is the best advice you've received throughout your career that you can pass along to the audience who is listening? So I'm going to give you a piece of advice that my mom gave me. And I was young and in the FBO world and sometimes fast to to make a decision or quick to judge a situation. And my mom wrote on a yellow post-it note in her signature red pen, the word listen with an exclamation point on it. And that post-it note uh, with the word listen on it was on my desk at Showalter Flying Service up until we sold in 2015. And I wish I still had it. I do not. I don't know what happened to it, but I do not have it. Um, but listen. Because um, listening is uh, just such an important tool. And I think we, we do become quick to formulate a response uh, in our head while somebody is still talking. Um, and that is, that is not always the best path to take. And we can learn so much from listening. And I think it makes us um, better professionals and better people when we can do that. 
Well, Jenny, it's been such a pleasure listening to you uh, this past hour or so, just learning from you, from your experiences. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for uh, just being so open about your experiences. Um, and for sure, listening is is something um, I know a lot of people are doing on this podcast. And we're just so grateful for you to come on here and share so much about your career. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for having me, Shasta. It's been a pleasure. 